electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. But meantime, let's go to Steve Leisman with the Fed decision. 75 basis points. The Federal Reserve Open Market Committee raising the funds rate by 75 basis points to a new target range of one and a half to one and three quarters percent. First time they've done a 75 basis point rate increase since 1994. It plans to continue its plans to reduce the balance sheet as laid out in the prior month and anticipates additional increases in the funds rate. To wit, the new forecasts from the Federal Market Committee show that they see the rate outlook for 2022 at 3.4%. That's up from 1.9. Pretty much meets where the market is. For 2023, it's boosted its own rate outlook, the median official, to 3.8% from 2.8%. That's a full percentage point increase. And again, pretty much meets where the market was at. Maybe the market met where the Fed was at. We don't know which way this works, but it is one of the most dramatic increases in the outlook, the near-term outlook for sure, of the funds rate that we have since we've been publishing this thing since 2011. The Fed repeating that inflation remains elevated. It sees the Ukraine war putting upward pressure on inflation. It says the China COVID situation, the lockdowns there, are worsening supply chain problems. Economic activity, it points out, picked up in the second quarter from weakness in the first, obviously. Uh, it cut, however, its 2022 and 2023 growth forecast pretty sharply for 2022 by, by 1.1 percentage points, boosting the unemployment rate a bit for this year, 3.7 percent. But when you go out, they've raised it by a half a point in 2024, boosted its core inflation outlook just a bit to 4.3 percent for this year. But otherwise, sees core inflation declining to around its target of 2.3 percent in 2024. Finally, this was uh, unanimous except for the fact that Esther George, the Kansas City Fed president, dissented wanting a 50 basis point increase, which is interesting in and of itself. But there you go, guys, a 75 basis point rate increase. And the Fed saying it anticipates additional increases in the funds rate will be appropriate. Back to you. Steve, stick around. The market pretty much taking this in stride with stocks roughly at levels that they were before the decision hit. Uh, Same can be said of interest rates at this very early hour. Let's bring our panel back along with Mike Santoli and Rick Santelli watching the markets. And in fact, guys, let's start with you. Rick, a knee-jerk reaction here is what do you say? Knee-jerk is a lot of volatility, but as the dust settles... We're right around unchanged, meaning we're right about where we started, 339, 340 in a 10-year. Two-year no yields are a smidge higher, but what's fascinating is they dropped aggressively the two-year before they came all the way back. And that makes sense. Many believe, including myself, that the shorter maturities might be a little ahead of the game, considering that we have to do this on a meeting-to-meeting basis. That's why things like three-month bills or six-month bills compared to two-year note yields are so interesting to watch. The, the issue I see is clear, is that the Fed has a favorite inflation gauge, the personal consumption expenditure core deflator. It's up 4.9%. And everybody watching has a different form of inflation gauge they prefer. It's called the AAA National Average Gas Price, which today is $5.01. 
Therein lies the problem. And Tyler talked about trying to get the reputation back. I can give you five numbers of why it's going to be difficult. 8.6 CPI, 18.9% export prices today, all-time record. Down 20% in the S&P, down 30% in the NASDAQ. And University of Michigan at a 1978 low of 50.2%. That pretty much summarizes the hurdles the Fed needs to overcome to get back into the popular graces. And on top of that, and we turn Mike Sant- uh, Santoli to you, the Fed is basically signaling here that from current levels, which we've already doubled, let's call it, in rates this year, we're going to double again. All pre- officials projected rates rising to at least 3% by year end. Uh, is the market already pricing that in? Largely, Kelly, and I would say tentatively at this point, because uh, really it's all about whether the bond market conveys the idea that the bond market is in tune with the new apparent path for the Fed, because that's the premise for whether stocks can stabilize. We're down 10 percent coming into today in four days in the S&P 500. It's oversold, but also on very slippery footing because uh, of the instability, I think, in bonds. There's two-way, uh, I think, two-way Fed mistake risk is perceived out there, either over-tightening, because all they're really doing is trying to attack gasoline prices, which they can't do. You know, you talk about Fed expe- uh, inflation expectations, and that was the seeming uh, prod to go 75 this time. Inflation expectations in the University of Michigan sediment survey is basically gasoline prices. So they're going after this one thing that they may not be able uh, to affect. I think it's okay. Look, financial conditions have tightened a lot. Jay Powell in the press conference could choose to emphasize that. And he might also be able to say, well, you talk about our credibility. We've only just been a lot of a lot of words in the last six months. And look at what's gone on with mortgage rates, with high yield debt spreads and all the other things and stock valuations. We've kind of got a lot of this in the books already. Maybe uh, we're, we're sort of front loading it and you can see around the hill to when it's almost over. And David Kelly, there are a couple hints of dovishness, if you want to call it that, in this decision. Interestingly enough, Esther George dissented in favor of a smaller increase. Uh, We tend to think of her as somewhat more on the hawkish side, but she only wanted a half point hike. And the median Fed official sees the rate at 3.8 percent at the end of next year. And you could argue maybe the market had actually gone a little higher than that. Uh, a little bit, but the markets moved very fast in the last few days, even as the Fed officials are putting in their forecast. So I, uh, I think we could, it was a given that the market was going to be a little higher than the Fed uh, uh, today. But I think it's really interesting that Esther George, who has, as you say, a reputation, a long-lived reputation of being a hawk, recognizes perhaps that the Federal Reserve is about to make its typical mistake of waiting too long and then doing too much. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, when it comes to credibility, it's really important they... You know, don't overdo this here, because uh, I, th- I think they, by the end of the year, they're going to have to be seeing a significantly different tune. Um, and I'd rather not see that, to be honest. John, let me ask you to respond to what David just said, waiting too long and doing too much. John says that there are already signs of a, of a, of a dramatically slowing economy baked into the cake. And this is going to be um, the cherry on top, I suppose, and not in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's the risk. The, the Fed is clearly responding to last week's CPI print. That was higher than expectations. Prior to that, you know, all the guidance had been for 50 basis points. You get a high CPI print, and now they're doing 75. The risk is, is CPI, at least parts of it, tend to be backward-looking. The shelter components in particular reflect changes in house prices and rental prices that happened months ago. I think what we all know is what's happening in the housing market right now is substantially different than what was happening at the beginning of the year. Mortgage rates are higher 
Every indicator of housing activity is turning. You saw that in the National Home Builders Survey this morning. Um, home sales, home starts, you know, it, it, we're going to see a pretty sharp turn here. And so the risk is, is that they're responding to a backward-looking indicator in CPI, and those more forward-looking indicators do signal a turn in activity and probably in prices. And I think that generally is the risk that they face. So I, I, I just want to echo, um, I, find, I find Esther George's dissent interesting. I, I hope she'll explain that in, in a subsequent piece. That is a little bit unexpected. But I'm very much with David that the, the risk here is that they're responding to backward-looking indicators where the forward-looking indicators actually suggest something different. Let me ask you, Mona, uh, the Fed sees inflation at 5.2 percent at the end of this year and at uh, something about 2.6 percent at the end of 2023. You think they can get that? Yeah, you know, I think uh, all of my colleagues here have highlighted it it really does come down to the inflation and inflation expectations. Uh, The Fed, I think, is reflecting what we did see this past Friday, where headline CPI came in well above expectations, and they moved that up to 5.2 percent. Interestingly, core inflation, of course, excluding food and energy, uh, was lower 6 percent in the the CPI print, uh, trending downwards. And I think that's reflected as well. I think they do think they can get 2.7 percent next year. Um, keep in mind, you know, the Fed, Fed uh, actions really do impact core. And two trends we've been seeing, one that John just highlighted, cooling housing market. But the other one is a potentially cooling labor market. Uh, we've already started to hear technology companies having layoffs over time that will impact not only the unemployment rate, but the potential wage growth that we've been seeing. So uh, as the Fed has been indicating, as we've been saying here, I think generally by the end of the year, we should see moderating inflation. And that will really be uh, this cycle's Fed put. The Fed can then go at a more gradual pace. They won't back off until inflation uh, starts to come back towards their 2% goal. Uh, but if they start moving at a more moderate pace, I think that's really when market sentiment can turn in a more meaningful way. We've seen stocks give up uh, most of their gains. Uh, Rick, we were we saw the Dow up 400 points earlier today. We were up about 100 going into the meeting. We briefly dipped negative. We're up 60 right now. NASDAQ still up 1%. Uh, this now, any comment on why we might be um, fluctuating more to the downside just in the last couple minutes here? Yeah, I I really do think as as this sets in, we are going to continue to see interest rates be the uh, antagonist in this whole uh, play against the equity market. So, yes, if you look as the dust settles, we're slowly starting to climb back. There's more uh, flattening going on than steepening with regard to the yield curve since the two o'clock decision was announced. And, And I really do believe that the Fed may be right in the projections of inflation. But therein lies the problem. Once again, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Even if the Fed gets these inflation numbers down to two, two and a half or three percent by the uh, end of next year, let's say, that doesn't mean prices are going down. That just means they stop going up. And I'm sorry, but I think many viewers, uh, as they look at prices, whether they pay for milk or eggs or houses or gasoline, the fact that they've stopped moving up is definitely a positive. But it's about moving down that they're most interested in, and I don't see that on the horizon anytime soon. Failure to communicate, I would say, Steve, failure to prognosticate. Let's look back to March when the <laughs> Fed said uh, 1.9% Fed funds rate at the end of this year. Now they are saying 3.4%. And as you pointed out uh, not five minutes ago when you broke the news, uh, 2023, 3.8% on the Fed funds rate, up from 2.8%. Those are significant changes in terms of uh, the of the predictions 
Yeah, I, I think we started printing these SEPs or summary of economic projections back in 2011. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a percentage point change uh, right. in, in the outlook for the funds rate from one to the other. But, Tyler, maybe there's some good news in this, and I don't want Rick to have a coronary on this, but the market has been higher than the Fed for several weeks now. Maybe we're finally getting to some place where we can agree on what the next several months of Fed policy looks like. I will just say the market has pushed ahead the futures curve for the funds rate a little bit today, but the Fed was at 1.9, the market was at 4. Now the Fed's at 3.8 for next year and the market's at 4. So the gap between the market and the Fed is much lower. And the question you have to ask yourself, the only thing I think that matters from an investment standpoint is, do you feel like four is enough to get the job done, to take control of inflation? If we're at a place now where the market has correctly priced where the Fed is going, and by the grace of God, the Fed has unbelievably or uncharacteristically priced where it's going, and this is where the market is, it's not the worst of all outcomes well, here if we've so, digested so, a potential 4% funds rate. So that's, a, that's an interesting, and I, I think for 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 a dumbass like me, an esoteric point. And, <laughs> and you know, why, why not just say the truth here? Come on. Uh, I, I, at, at any rate, I will dissociate myself from that remark. In, in, in a I practical sense, what does it mean yeah. that the market and the Fed may be actually approaching one another well, on where it means? What does it, it mean it, to me? It means you don't have to come in every morning and have the market swinging by 300 basis points because it believes the Fed's going to do another 50 basis points uh, uh, next week or next month. It means if you can get to a place where there's some agreement on the outlook and what the task is at hand, we can take some of the volatility out of this market. And it means that if you're a bond trader, you come in in the morning and you're not guaranteed to lose your shirt at the end of the day. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, Mike Santoli, you want to give us a, a parting comment here? Yeah, I would say that it, it's certainly helpful if, in fact, the market's current projection of where the Fed's going to end up uh, is in, in line with where the Fed itself is right now. I do think what's going to be key to listen for, though, from Chair Powell is what cost is the committee willing to accept for success on inflation, yes. right? You have the consensus projection of unemployment ticking up higher, very modestly. Um, and, you know, he's never been uh, very strident about insisting that a soft landing was the likeliest scenario. So it's really about, they, they still, as part of the plan, you have to say, maybe we'll get lucky. And maybe the numbers will start to work in our favor and we're moving in the right direction on rates. And, you know, we can consider the 2023 projections just some academic exercise, uh, you know, until we know the, the actual facts of what happens between now and then. All right. And again, we should mention the market looks very similar to what it looked like before this decision hit. Dow's up 76 points, 10 years at 341. Thank you, everybody, so much today. David Kelly, Mona Mahajan, John Bellows, and Steve and Rick and Mike. We appreciate it. In a few more minutes' time, we'll hear from Chair Powell himself. That's at half past the hour. Uh, he's going to answer questions on the Fed's decision, its battle against inflation, and that trade-off that Mike just mentioned, the future path of rate hikes. Before that, we have more analysis from former Fed Governor Randy Krosner. Keep it right here on Power Lunch. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. 
text or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. All right, welcome back to uh, Power Launch. Stocks giving up some of their gains as we look there at the podium uh, at which uh, the Fed chair will speak in just about 13 minutes' time. Uh, The news of the hour is that the Federal Reserve, for the first time since 1994, has raised interest rates by a full three-quarters of a percentage point. There you see the Dow Industrials, roughly where they were, right, Kelly? When Right before we went into this, it's been a wild ride, as you see, as you can see on a chart if we had one there. Let's bring in Randy Cross. He's deputy dean at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business and a formal, former Federal Reserve governor. Randy, welcome. Take me inside the meeting that just happened and tell me what just happened. So I think um, they got very focused on the increase in uh, expected inflation, those numbers that came out at the end of last week. I don't think they put that much emphasis on the inflation numbers that came out on Friday. One, it was the CPI, which they don't focus on as much as the uh, the uh, the, uh, the other index that they use that comes with the GDP report, uh, the PCE. Um, but the thing that they're most worried about is inflation expectations become unanchored. So far, Longer-term inflation expectations had been in the same range as they had been be really over the last um, few years, maybe at the upper end of that range, but they broke out above that. I think that pushed them to 75, and I think that's the thing that they focus on most importantly. Is this the Fed then being data-dependent? Well, it's not just the data. It's forward. It's being forward-looking. It's looking at the uh, where the expectations are going. So as I said, I think it's not just about uh, the inflation print from last week, which I don't think was that far out of line. I mean, a lot of people have focused on it as being so high. I think it was pretty much in line with the Fed, uh, uh, Fed uh, forecasts. But mm-hmm. the, um, the increase in inflation expectations, that wasn't what they were expecting. And I think that's what drove them to move more. And I think you're going to hear a very hawkish uh, discussion at the press conference from Chairman Powell. Let me ask a, a perhaps impolite question and ask it as politely as I can. <laughs> uh, if what they're doing is looking forward and trying to look at future indications of inflation, why should I believe they're any better today than they were last year when, they, when, when, when the buzzword was transitory? So I think that's right. That put a lot of their credibility on the line, and some of that was lost. They didn't lose too much credibility because the longer-term inflation expectations haven't uh, become unanchored. They're starting to, and that's why they need to move now. And that's why I think it's really good that they're focusing on the forward-looking measures, where are inflation expectations going. So even if inflation starts to come down a little bit, they have to look at where inflation expectations are because that's what's going to be embedded into wage demands. That's what's going to be embedded to inflation going forward. Randy, why didn't they adjust the pace of quantitative tightening, which is starting off at a a pretty small clip? I think it actually literally only started today. If they're going to go forward with much more aggressive rate hikes, um, was there an option to lean more heavily on balance sheet tightening instead? And if so, why didn't they pursue that? 
I mean, certainly they could have done that, but I think they're worried about market liquidity. Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion that you guys have had about how markets are are bouncing around a lot or quite volatile. So I think they're they're worried about taking away too much liquidity too quickly. And also it's a lot it's there's a lot of uncertainty about how balance sheet reduction translates into uh, basis points and the Fed funds rate. You know, estimates are that, you know, a trillion dollars would be on the order of a quarter point to a half percentage point. So just increasing the pace a little bit probably isn't going to have that much effect. Going from 50 to 75 and then hey, having a pretty tough and stern uh, outlook, which is, I think, what you're going to hear from, from Jay, I think that's going to be much more effective. Do we avoid a recession? Well, if you look at the projections, this is awfully uh, softish, let's say. You know, the unemployment rate moves up, you know, doesn't even move to 4%. I find that really hard to, to believe that we don't have a very significant increase in both the unemployment rate and a much more significant decrease in economic activity. Does that mean back-to-back quarters of contraction? Not necessarily, but I do think that right now in those projections, the numbers don't really add up. They said they want to go one and a half points above where they think the long run neutral is, and that's only going to drive the unemployment rate to 3.9%. Uh, that doesn't seem to square for me. Randy, thank you very much. As always, you make it uh, you make a hard thing easy to understand. We appreciate it. Randy Krosner of the Booth School at Chicago. He's like Tums, makes it more digestible. Yes. <laughs> the, Fed's, uh, the Fed chair's press conference is just about eight minutes away. These markets look a lot like they did before the decision. Will he change that trajectory significantly, as has often been the case? The real volatility typically kicks up as he takes the podium, so stick around for that. Our coverage of the Fed decision continues after this quick break. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back, everybody. Before we get to Jerome Powell's press conference in about five minutes, let's bring in Bill Lee. He's the chief economist at the Milken Institute. And Bill, uh, what's your reaction to this uh, biggest rate hike in about 30 years that we've seen? Kelly, I am so relieved Chair Powell did the right thing as opposed to doing the conservative thing that most people would have thought. Uh, I, no one, the FOMC never likes to think that the markets are in control and that, that markets are in the driver's seat for monetary policy. And somehow Chair Powell was able to convince them that it's time to let the markets tell us that we can and should take up the slack that they've given us and to take the whole 75 basis points. Fantastic move. 
Let's talk a little bit about uh, quantitative tightening. Would you have liked to have seen something more in, in that area? And, and back to what Randy Krosner just said, no. um, if you take, I, I forget what he said the number was, a trillion dollars out, you're, you're probably the equivalent of a half quarter point increase in, in rates. Well, Taylor, as you know, every time I've come on your show, I've always been advocating we should do more with the balance sheet. And, and, and I know people are so afraid of liquidity events, and that's what happened in the past. But the Fed has learned from the past that they can set up reserve policies to ensure the adequate amount of liquidity. Yes, they should have done more because they, they have to take charge of the narrative. The Fed is in control in terms of stamping out inflation, and they want to do it now. Look at the ECB. They have a morass right now in Europe because they move too slowly. The Fed is doing exactly the right thing, and they could do more. What would you like to hear him say and what would you not like to hear him say as this press conference gets underway, Bill? The last thing I want him to hear him say is, well, next time we may go back to 50, depending on where the economy is going. Um, I think um, right now he's got to show the, the markets that he will not stop short if the economy starts to slow down. GDP now, a forecast of Atlanta Fed is showing near zero growth for for second quarter. So we are technically right on the edge of a recession. It's not terrible right now, given three and a half percent unemployment and the amount of excess employment in the labor markets to have a little bit of unemployment. What they have in their forecast is completely not credible. So Chair Powell needs to channel his inner Volcker. Absolutely. Inner Volcker, inner Draghi, because right now, if expectations get run away, we're in big trouble. So let's talk about uh, what you think is next from from the Fed. They meet again in July and September and November. And I believe December is the last meeting. Um, it's un, it's go- unlikely the, the inflation rate is going to die down very quickly, especially the, the, the total number with uh, food and energy. Um, but the Fed should not be distracted by that. And they should say we're going to continue to press until we start to see inflation ease off. That's what Chair Paul has said for all along. And just stay with that program. Does he need to spell out explicitly what progress is and looks like? I mean, he said he wants clear, I think, in in convincing evidence that inflation is falling. Uh, Master, I believe, told us that for her that looks like inflation gauges rising rising only a tenth or two each month. Does he need to get really explicit about what progress looks like, whether it's market break evens that he's looking at or, you know, what how are we supposed to know otherwise um, if they think that this is working? Chair Powell will never give you the kind of explicit guidance that uh, President Mester did, but he has to say something about the dashboard. What elements of the dashboard is most important to him? And he's got to say break-even inflation expectations, five-year, five years, the Michigan survey. Those are the numbers that he's going to have to emphasize and say we're keeping an eye on how the people and markets react to the data, not just the data itself. They seem to have – the Fed would seem I, – I, I don't want to go into lapse into opinion here, but – there seems to be a credibility issue. How do they restore it? By sticking to this course of getting rid of inflation no matter what it takes. And no matter what it takes means allowing the unemployment rate to drift up and growth to slow down and even go negative. That's credibility. And Bill, does he also need to explain their thinking? You know, a lot of Americans still think this is only because of oil and that that has nothing to do with the Fed. Does he need to explain a little bit better why monetary policy needs to be in the driver's seat here? All he needs is one sentence to say the mistake we made in the 70s was to go to wage price controls because we looked at individual markets. Right now, we need to equilibrate aggregate supply and aggregate demand. Supply is down, but we got to bring demand down to where supply is. Right. But what about people who say, can't we just increase supply instead? 
<laughs> well, that's a, f- a function not of the Fed, but of President Biden and other uh, world leaders. And I think that he can easily fluff off to somebody else. But well, the let- supply side is something that he has no control over. The demand side is where he has absolute control. And that's where he's going to use the nail inflation. Yeah, not that he wants to get into a nominal GDP discussion, but it would be refreshing to hear him say, you know, an economy that grows 10 percent nominally last year is one that has quite a lot of uh, stimulus put behind it. Quick check on markets. Dow hanging on to about a 12 point gain here as Fed Chair Powell takes the podium. Let's listen in. We at the Fed understand the hardship that high inflation is causing. We're strongly committed to bringing inflation back down and we're moving expeditiously to do so. We have both the tools we need and the resolve that it will take to restore price stability on behalf of American families and businesses. The economy and the country have been through a lot over the past two and a half years and have proved resilient. It is essential that we bring inflation down if we are to have a sustained period of strong labor market conditions that benefit all. From the standpoint of our congressional mandate to promote maximum employment and price stability, the current picture is plain to see. The labor market is extremely tight, and inflation is much too high. Against this backdrop, today the Federal Open Market Committee raised its policy interest rate by three-quarters of a percentage point and anticipates that ongoing increases in that rate will be appropriate. In addition, we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet. I'll have more to say about today's monetary policy actions after briefly reviewing economic developments. Overall, economic activity edged down in the first quarter as unusually sharp swings in inventories and net exports more than offset continued strong underlying demand. Recent indicators suggest that real GDP growth has picked up this quarter, with consumption spending remaining strong. In contrast, growth in business fixed investment appears to be slowing, and activity in the housing sector looks to be softening, in part reflecting higher mortgage rates. The tightening in financial conditions that we've seen in recent months should continue to temper growth and help bring demand into better balance with supply. As shown in our summary of economic projections, FOMC participants have marked down their projections for economic activity with the median projection for real GDP growth running below 2% through 2024. The labor market has remained extremely tight with the unemployment rate near a 50-year low, job vacancies at historical highs, and wage growth elevated. Over the past three months, employment rose by an average of 408,000 jobs per month, down from the average pace seen earlier in the year, but still robust. Improvements in labor market conditions have been widespread, including for workers at the lower end of the wage distribution, as well as for African Americans and Hispanics. Labor demand is very strong while labor supply remains subdued, with the labor force participation rate little changed since January. FOMC participants expect supply and demand conditions in the labor market to come into better balance, easing the upward pressures on wages and prices. The median projection in the SEP for the unemployment rate rises somewhat over the next few years, moving from 3.7% at the end of this year to 4.1% in 2024, levels that are noticeably above the March projections. Inflation remains well above our longer-run goal of 2%. Over the 12 months ending in April, total PCE prices rose 6.3% 
excluding the volatile food and energy categories, core prices rose 4.9%. In May, the 12-month change in the Consumer Price Index came in above expectations at 8.6%, and the change in the core CPI was 6%. Aggregate demand is strong. Supply constraints have been larger and long-lasting than anticipated, and price pressures have spread to a broad range of goods and services. The surge in prices of crude oil and other commodities that resulted from Russia's invasion of Ukraine is boosting prices for gasoline and food and is creating additional upward pressure on inflation. And COVID-related lockdowns in China are likely to exacerbate supply chain disruptions. FOMC participants have revised up their projections for inflation this year, particularly for total PCE inflation, given developments in food and energy prices. The median projection is 5.2% this year and falls to 2.6% next year and 2.2% in 2024. Participants continue to see risks to inflation as weighted to the upside. The Fed's monetary policy actions are guided by our mandate to promote maximum employment and and stable prices for the American people. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship especially on those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials, like food, housing, and transportation. We are highly attentive to the risks high inflation poses to both both sides of our mandate, and we're strongly committed to returning inflation to our 2% objective. Against the backdrop of the rapidly evolving economic environment, our policy has been adapting, and it will continue to do so. At today's meeting, the committee raised the target range for the federal funds rate by three-quarters of a percentage point, resulting in a one-and-a-half percentage point increase in the target range so far this year. The committee reiterated that it anticipates that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate. And we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet, which plays an important role in firming the stance of monetary policy. Coming out of our last meeting in May, there was a broad sense on the committee that a half-percentage-point increase in the target range should be considered at this meeting if economic and financial conditions evolved in line with expectations. We also stated that we were highly attentive to inflation risks and that we would be nimble in responding to incoming data and the evolving outlook. Since then, inflation has again surprised to the upside. Some indicators of inflation expectations have risen, and projections for inflation this year have been revised up notably. In response to these developments, the committee decided that a larger increase in the target range was warranted at today's meeting. This continues our approach of expeditiously moving our policy rate up to more normal levels, and it will help ensure that longer-term inflation expectations remain well anchored at 2%. As shown in the SEP, the median projection for the appropriate level of the federal funds rate is 3.4% at the end of this year, a percentage point and a half higher than projected in March, and 0.9 percentage point above the median estimate of its longer run value. The median projection rises further to 3.8% at the end of next year and declines to 3.4% in 2024, still above the median longer run value. Of course, these projections do not represent a committee plan, or decision, and no one knows with any certainty where the economy will be a year or more from now. Over coming months, we will be looking for compelling evidence that inflation is moving down, consistent with inflation returning to 2%. 
We anticipate that ongoing rate increases will be appropriate. The pace of those changes will continue to depend on the incoming data and the evolving outlook for the economy. Clearly, today's 75 basis point increase is an unusually large one, and I do not expect moves of this size to be common. From the perspective of today, either a 50 basis point or a 75 basis point increase seems most likely at our next meeting. We will, however, make our decisions meeting by meeting and will continue to communicate our thinking as clearly as we can. Our overarching focus is using our tools to bring inflation back down to our 2% goal and to keep longer-term inflation expectations well anchored. Making appropriate monetary policy in this uncertain environment requires a recognition that the economy often evolves in unexpected ways. Inflation has obviously uh, surprised to the upside over the past year, and further surprises could be in store. We therefore will need to be nimble in responding to incoming data and the evolving outlook. And we will strive to avoid adding uncertainty to what is already an extraordinarily challenging and uncertain time. We are highly attentive to inflation risk, risks and determined to take the measures necessary to restore price stability. The American economy is very strong and well positioned to handle tighter monetary policy. To conclude, we understand that our actions affect communities, families, and businesses across the country. Everything we do is in service to our public mission. We at the Fed will do everything we can to achieve our maximum employment and price stability goals. Thank you, and I look forward to your questions. Uh, thank you. Howard Schneider with Reuters. Um, uh, two related questions, uh, Chair Powell. Did you feel you uh, boxed yourself in with the language you used at the last press conference on uh, 50 basis point hikes in June and July? And would you please give us uh, as detailed a sense as you can of what role you played uh, in reshaping market expectations so quickly on Monday? So, um, as you know, we, we uh, always aim to provide as much clarity as we can about our policy intentions subject to the inherent uncertainty in the economic outlook, because we think monetary policy is more effective when market participants understand how policy will, will evolve, when they understand our, our objective function, our reaction function. Um, and in the current highly unusual circumstances with inflation well above our goal, we think it's helpful, helpful to provide, provide even more clarity than usual, um, again, subject to uncertainty in the outlook. So, um, and I think over the, course of, over the course of this year, financial uh, markets have responded uh, and, and have generally shown that they understand the path we're, we're, uh, we're laying out. It, of course, it remains data dependent. Um, and so that's what we generally think about guidance, and that's why we offer it. And of course, when, we offered that, when I offered that guidance uh, at the last meeting, I did say that it was subject to the economy performing about in line with expectations. I also said that uh, if the economy performed, if data came in worse than expected, then we would consider moving even more aggressively. So uh, we, got the, we got the CPI data and also some data on inflation expectations uh, late last week. And we thought for a while, and we thought, well, this is the appropriate thing to do. So then the question is, what do you do? And do you wait six weeks to do it at the next meeting? And I think the answer is that's not where we are with this. So we decided we needed to go ahead, and so we did. And uh, that's, really the, that's really how we made the decision. 
Thanks for taking our questions. Gina Smilek with the New York Times. You, I guess I wonder if you could describe for us a little bit how you're deciding how aggressive you need to be. So obviously 75 today, what did 75 achieve that 50 wouldn't have and why not just go for a full percentage point at some point? Sure. So if you take a step back, what we're looking for is compelling evidence that inflationary pressures are abating and that inflation is moving back down. And we'd like to see that in uh, in the form of a series of declining uh, monthly inflation readings. That's what we're looking for. And by this point, uh, we had actually been expecting to see clear signs of at least inflation flattening out and ideally beginning to decline. We've said that we'd be data dependent, focused on incoming data, highly attentive to inflation risks, the things that I mentioned um, uh, to Howard moments ago. So contrary to expectations, inflation again surprised to the upside. Indicators, Some indicators of inflation expectations have risen. Uh, and projections of this year have moved up notably. So we thought that strong action was warranted at this meeting, and today we delivered that in the form of a 75 basis point rate hike, as I mentioned. So what was the, the point of it really is this. Um, we've been moving rates up uh, expeditiously to more normal levels. And over the course of the seven months since we, since we pivoted and began moving in this direction, we've seen uh, financial conditions tighten, and appropriately so. Um, but the federal funds rate, even after this move, is at 1.6%. So, uh, again, the committee uh, is moving rates up expeditiously to more normal levels. And we came to the view that um, we'd like to do a little more front-end loading on that. So I think that the, the SEP gives you the levels that people think are appropriate at, a, at given points in time. This was really about the speed with which you would get there. So as I mentioned, we... we 75 basis points today. I said the next meeting could could well be about a decision between 50 and 75. That would put us at the end of the July meeting, you know, in in that range of in that more normal range, and that's a desirable place to be because you begin to have more optionality there about the speed with which you would proceed going forward. Just to, just talking about the SEP for a second. What, what it really says is that committee participants widely would like to see policy at a modestly restricted restrictive level at the end of this year and that's six months from now and you know so much data and so much can happen so remember how highly uncertain this is but so that is generally a range of three to three and a half percent that's where people are and that's that's what they want to see knowing what they know now and understanding that we need to be we need to show resolve but also be flexible to incoming data as we see it if things are better we don't need to do that much so and if they're not, then we, you know, we either do that much or possibly even more. Uh, but in any case, it will be very data dependent. Then you're looking at next year, and what you're seeing is people see more, a bit more tightening in, in, in a range of maybe 35 to 4%. And that's generally what people see as the appropriate path for getting inflation under control and starting back down and then getting back down to 2%. So 75 basis points seem like the right, the right thing to do at this meeting. And... Um, and uh, that's what we did. Steve. Steve Leisman, CNBC. Thank you for taking my question, Mr. <clears throat> Chairman. Um, you have not used the phrase in a long time, monetary policy is in a good place, which is a phrase that you used to use often. Um, now that the committee is projecting 4% on a, or 3.8% next year in terms of the funds rate, uh, which is similar to where the market is now, uh, the, the futures market a 4% funds rate next year, do you think that's a level that is going to be sufficiently high enough to deal with and bring down the inflation problem? 
And just as a follow-up, could you break that apart for me? How much of that is restrictive and how much of that is a normal positive rate that ought to be embedded or not, in your opinion, in the funds rate? Thank you. Sure. So the, the question really is, how high does the rate really need to go? And this is, you know, the estimates on the committee are, are in that range of 35 to 4%. And how do you think about that? Well, you can think about the, the longer-run neutral rate. You can compare it to that, and we think that's in the mid-twos. Um, you can look, frankly, at broader financial conditions. You can look at, you know, asset prices. You can look at the effect you're having on the economy, rates, asset prices, credit spreads, all of those things go into that. You can, you can also look at the yield curve and ask all along the yield curve, where is, wh where is the policy rate? So for much of the yield curve now, real rates are positive. That's not true at the short end. At, at the short end of the yield curve in, in the early years, you don't have real neg – you have negative rates still. So that, I, that, but to, that really is one data point. It's one part of a financial condition. So I, th I think you, you, I, I have to look at it this way. We move the policy rate. That affects financial conditions, and that affects the economy. You know, we have, of course, ways, rigorous ways to think about it, but ultimately it comes down to do we think financial conditions are in a place where they're having the desired effect on the economy? And that desired effect is we'd like to see, you know, demand moderating. Demand is very hot still in the economy. We'd like to see the labor market getting ba better in balance between supply and demand. And that can happen both from supply and demand. Right now, there's, demand is substantially higher than, than available supply, though. So we feel that there's a role for us in moderating demand. Those are the things we can affect with our, with our policy tools. There are many things we can't affect, uh, and, and those would be, you know, the things, uh, the, the commodity price issues that we're having around the world due to the war in uh, Ukraine and, um, and the fallout from that, and also just the, all of the supply-side things that are still you know, pushing upward on inflation. So that's, that's really how, how I think I would think about it. But, but does 3.8%, 4% get it done? Does it get the job done and breaking the back of inflation? I, I think it, it, it's certainly a, a, a in the range of plausible numbers. I think we'll know when we get there, really. I mean, I, I, honestly, though, that, that would be you would have positive real rates, I think, and inflation coming down by then. I think you'd have positive real rates across the curve. Um, I think that, the, you know, the neutral rate is pretty low these days. So uh, I, I would think it would. But you know what? We're going to find that out empirically. We're not, we're not going to be completely model-driven about this. We're going we're to be looking at, at, at this, keeping our eyes open and reacting to incoming data, both on financial conditions and on what's happening in the economy. Thanks. Nick Timoros of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Chirpel, you've said that you like your policy to work through expectations, and now obviously this decision was something quite different from how you and almost all of your colleagues had set those expectations during the intermeeting period. And I know you just said that what changed was really the inflation data, the inflation expectations data. But I'm wondering on the inflation expectations data, was there something you saw that was unsettling enough to risk eroding the credibility of your verbal guidance by doing something so different from what you had socialized before. So if you look at a, we look at a broad range of inflation expectations. Um, so you've got the public, you've got surveys of the public and of experts, and, and you've also got market-based. And I think if you look across that broad range of data, what you see is that uh, expectations are still in the place, very much in the place where 
short-term inflation is going to be high, but comes down sharply over the next couple of years. That's, that's really where inflation expectations are. And also, as you get away from this episode, they get back down close to 2%. And so this is really very important to us that that remain the case. And I think if you look for most measures, most of the time, that's what you see. Even, if we even see a couple of indicators that, that bring that into question, we, we take that very seriously. We do not take this for granted. We take it very seriously. So the preliminary Michigan reading, it's a preliminary reading. It might be revised. Nonetheless, it was quite eye-catching, and, and we noticed that. We also noticed that, that the uh, index of common inflation expectations at the board has moved up after being pretty flat for a long time. So we're watching that, and we're thinking this is something we need to take seriously. And that is one of the factors, as I, I mentioned, one of the factors in our deciding to move ahead with 75 basis points today was what we saw in, in inflation expectations. We're, we're absolutely determined to keep them anchored at 2%. Uh, that was one of the reasons. The other was just the, the CPI rating. So if you saw a movement like that again, another tick up in inflation expectations, uh, would that put a 75 or even 100 basis point increase in play uh, at your next meeting? You know, we're going to, I'll just say, we're going to react to the incoming data and uh, appropriately, I think. So I, I, I wouldn't want to put a number on what that might be. The main thing is to get to get rates up and and then pretty soon we'll be in an area where 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 we're i think as you get closer to the end of the year you're in you're in a range where you've got restrictive policy which is appropriate 40 40 year highs in inflation we we think that policy is going to need to be restrictive and we don't know how restrictive so um i think that's how we'll take it uh hi chair powell neil Irwin from axios thanks for taking our questions um the, uh, the late-breaking kind of decision to go to 75 basis points, uh, do you worry that that will make policy guidance a less effective tool in the future? Uh, and should we think of that as a kind of symmetrical reaction function if we start to get uh, soft readings on inflation or if, uh, if the labor market starts to roll over? To take your second question first, yes. I mean, I, I think we're, we're again, we're, we're going, we're resolved to take this on, but we're going to be flexible in the implementation of it. Sorry, and your, your question was guidance. So, Again, the, the overall exercise is that we try to be provide as much clarity about our policy intentions as we can because we think that makes monetary policy work better. There's, it's always a trade-off because you have to live with that guidance. And um, so you do it, and it helps a lot of the time. I frankly think this year has been a demonstration of how well it can work. We, you know, with, the, with us having really just done a very little in the way of raising uh, interest rates, financial conditions have tightened quite significantly through through the expectations channel as we've made it clear what our plans are. So I, I think that's been a very healthy uh, uh, thing to be happening. So and, and I would hope that our that our it's it's always going to be any any uh, guidance that we give is always going to be subject to things working out about as we expect. And in this particular situation, you know, we're, we're looking for something specific, and that is progress on inflation. We want to see progress. We want to see inflation can't go down until it flattens out. And that's what we're looking to see. And, and if we don't see that, then that's the kind of thing that will cause, even if we, can, if we don't see progress for a longer period, that could cause us to react. But we will. We will soon enough, we will be seeing some progress at some point. And, and, and we'll react appropriately to that, too. But I, I, would, I would like to think, though, that our guidance is still credible, but it's always going to be conditional on, on what happens. 
this is an unusual situation to get, uh, you know, uh, uh, some data late in, in uh, during blackout, pretty close, very close to our meeting, very unusual to one that would actually change the outcome. So um, I, I, I've only seen in my 10 years plus here at the Fed, I've only seen something like that, even close to that one or two times. So I don't think it's something that will come up a great deal. Thank you so much for taking our questions. Colby Smith with the Financial Times. On the clear and convincing threshold uh, for the inflation trajectory, what is the level of realized inflation uh, that meets that criteria? And how is the committee thinking about the potential trade-off of much higher unemployment than even forecast than even what's forecasted in the SEP if inflation is not moderating, you know, at this acceptable pace? So the second part I didn't get. Um, if uh, you know what's the potential trade-off with higher uh, unemployment than even what's forecasted in the SEP if inflation is not moderating at an acceptable pace? Right. So what we want to see is is you know a series of declining monthly readings for inflation. And we like to see inflation headed down. So, um, but, you know, and right right now, our policy rate is well below neutral, right? So the, the, soon enough, we'll, we'll have our policy rate, let's assume the world works about, out about like the SEP says, the policy rate will be up where we think it should be. And then the question would be, do you slow down? Does it make you, you know, that you'll be making these judgments about is it appropriate now to slow down from 50 to 25, let's say, or speed up? You know, that, so that's the kind of thinking we'll, we'll be doing. And we'll be, again, we're looking, ultimately, we're not going to declare victory until we see uh, a series of these, you know, really see convincing evidence, compelling evidence that inflation is coming down. And th that's what I mean by that's what it would take for us to say, Okay, we think uh, we think this is this job is done um, because we saw, and frankly, we saw last year inflation came down over the course of the summer and then turned right around and went back up. So I think we're going to be careful about uh, about declaring victory. But our again, the implementation of our policy is going to be going to be flexible and sensitive to incoming data. Are you more concerned now that uh, to bring down inflation, it's going to require more than just some pain at this point? So again, I, th I think that um, I do think that uh, their objective, and this is what's reflected in the SCP, but our objective really is to bring inflation down to two percent while the labor market remains strong. I think that um, what's becoming more clear is that that many factors that we don't control are going to play a very significant role in, in deciding whether that's possible or not. And there I'm thinking, of course, of commodity prices, the, the war in Ukraine, uh, supply chain, things like that, where we really can't, we really can't the monetary policy stan you know, stance doesn't affect those things. So, but having said that, there is a path for us to get there. Um, it's not getting easier. Uh, it's, it's getting more challenging because of these external forces. And that, that path is to, to move demand down, and you have a lot of surplus demand. In, uh, take, for example, in the, uh, in the labor market. Uh, so it, you have two va job vacancies, essentially, for every person seek, actively seeking a job, and that has led to a real imbalance in wage negotiating. You, you could get to a place where 
where that ratio was was a more at a more normal level, and you wouldn't ex- you would expect to see those wage pressures move back down to level where people are still getting healthy wage increases, real wage increases, but at a level that's consistent with two percent inflation. So that's that's a possibility, and you could say the same thing about some of the product markets where there's just excess capacity, and you know where the really where the the strong demand has gone into sorry there, where there's where there's there are capacity constrained right so you have effectively what we think of as a vertical supply curve or close to it, so demand comes in and it's very strong and it, it shows up in higher prices not not higher quantities not more cars because they can't make the cars because they don't have the semiconductors. So, in principle, that could work in reverse. When demand comes down, you could see, and it's not guaranteed, but you could see prices coming down more than the typical economic relationships that you see in the textbooks would suggest because of the unusual situation we're in on the supply side. So there's a pathway there. It is, it is not going to be easy. Uh, and, you know, the, they're, they're, again, it's our objective, but... Um, uh, as I mentioned, it's going to depend to some extent on factors we don't control. Rachel. Hi, Chair Powell. Thank you for taking our questions. Rachel Siegel from the Washington Post. So the new projections show the unemployment rate ticking up through 2024. Is a higher unemployment rate necessary in order to combat inflation? And what is lost if the unemployment rate has to go up and people lose their jobs in order to control inflation? Thank you. So... You're right. In, in the in the SEP, we have unemployment going up to four point. The median is is uh, is four point one percent. There are, of course, a range of of, uh, of actual forecasts, and I, I would characterize that if you if you were to get inflation down to, you know, on its way down to two percent, and the unemployment went up to rate went up to four point one percent. That's still a you know historically low level. You know, we hadn't seen we hadn't seen rates unemployment rates below four percent. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to ninety eight percent of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.